0: It's really good to be with you guys um yeah i am talking about abraham i think they gave that to me because i'm the old guy <laughs> and uh I, abraham was about my age when you start reading about him so i'm really in in good company by the way this book that you have there i'm just going to tell you right now so i don't have to go back to it um this is the book that i've wanted to write my whole life uh, and the reason it's called threads is because as i looked as i've looked at my own life and it really happened through the pandemic when I looked at what was going on in the Christian world during the pandemic and people were going, where's God? And this is so frustrating. And I'm so anxious and I'm so fearful. And I'm going, are these people that say they know the living God that are like this? I can see other people saying this, but really, is this what's going on? So I began to think, what are the threads that have been woven through my life over the 45 years that I've walked with God that has given me a stability that it really doesn't matter what's going on around me? And that's the life I think we all really want. And so I just started writing about this. And that's what this book is. And I just want to tell you, uh, yes, we are selling it for $10 this morning. If you can't afford it, you take it anyway. Because I believe if you can get some of these threads woven into your life, it will actually change the way you look at every situation of your life. It changes the way you look at your family. It changes the way you look at your business. It changes the way you look at obstacles that come along. And it's just a, it's just a real freeing way to live because the subtitle is, is Weaving a Life of Peace and Purpose in a Chaotic World. And most of us only have peace and purpose if the chaos stops. And God's guaranteed us up, up front it's never going to stop. So if we don't learn how to have that in the middle of the chaos, we're going to be in some deep stuff and never realize the part that God has for us in his story. So I'd really love for you to you take this. If you can't can afford it, like I said, I didn't want to bring any swipe or anything like that. So you just go to the website and you just donate uh, on that for the book. And, and I didn't, I mean, gosh, Ryan, you said everybody should take one so I don't have to take any home. I hope I brought enough. Uh, there are there's like 10 or 12 more sitting on the back table there uh, So I encourage you to take a hold of that now Let me just tell you something that I mean as I talk here you'll find a, a few things out about me But I think I've got a problem that all of you have so at least we can share this problem and I've got a trust issue I got a tr- you have a trust issue Got anything. Yes trust issue. We have trust issues but, but it's well-deserved because I've been lied to so many times in my life. I have been duped so many times in my life. I have been swindled. I have been taken advantage of. I have, you know, somebody gives me a price for something, and by the time I walk out the door with the handling things and this fee and that fee and this surcharge and everything, it's twice as much as what I thought it was. Or I'm supposed to have an appointment with somebody. i am mean, sitting at a restaurant, and 30 minutes later, I get a text that says, I'm running late. I'm like, well, tell me something I don't know. It's been 30 minutes, OK? <laughs> or they say that, I, that I, I can't make it. And I go, I'm not going to be with this guy anymore. And you just build this thing where you don't trust people. And it's a very, very real, real thing. But you know the interesting thing is? We all really want to trust people, because life is so much easier when you trust somebody. Some of you have people in your phone right now that are your go-to people because you know you can trust them. That if they say they're going to do something, they're going to do something. So well, we have a hard time trusting, we really want to have people that we can trust. So I understand that. But you know, this has been going on from the earliest times. It didn't start with our generation. In fact, when you read the Bible, you go all the way back to the first two or three chapters of the Bible. The first couple chapters is all about the great stuff that God is doing, the great world that he created, how he set us, to, set us up to succeed. And then by the time you get to chapter three, you've got the tempter whispering in Adam and Eve's ears saying, you can't trust God. You just can't trust him. He really doesn't have your best at heart. You know, he really, he's really not going to have your back. You've really got to kind of jettison this whole trust in God thing, and you've got to go with your gut. You've got to go with how you feel you're a smart person, And especially if you're a follower of Jesus, you believe that God made you. And so he gave you a brain. And so you don't need God. You can do this on your own. And this is something that has continued to be the operating system of life. And you operate on it, and so do I. Now, back when I was 23 years old, which was, gosh, 50 years ago now, um, when I was 23 years old, something happened to me that I really can't totally explain. But it really blew my whole operating system. See, I was, a, I was just about everything I touched, I was successful at. I was just one of these kids, and I don't know where it came from. and it's just my parents or whatever, but it just worked out for me. And I went to a big old high school, and out of, out of nearly 850 in the graduating class, I graduated number five. Wow, I, I had a bright future. I really knew what I was doing. When I went to college, I became a theater major, of all things theater major and a music minor, did very, very well. When I got out, I got with a traveling troupe that traveled all over the United States for the next couple of years to all 50 states, into Europe and into Asia. So I was basically doing really, really good in life. And I was feeling pretty good about myself. But when I was in Los Angeles, where I had moved to really further my career, I did something that is a very, very dangerous thing. And I tell people this. This is a very dangerous thing to do. I started reading the Bible. I started reading the Bible. Nobody made me do it. I just had a lot of downtime because when you're pursuing theater, you have a lot of downtime. You got to learn how to say, do you want fries with that burger? You know, you just have a lot of downtime. And that was me. So I just decided I was going to pick up the Bible and I was going to start reading it. I wasn't in a church. I just wanted to know. I've been... I'd grown up around church, so I knew about Jesus and I knew about the Bible. So I just started reading it. I'm not talking about a quick grab and go kind of deal, but just sometimes hours and hours I was single. Uh, I didn't have a real schedule that I had to keep. And so I just read it and read it and read it. And it did something to me because I started to read about this Jesus that I had always believed in, but I suddenly discovered he never even asked me to believe in him. He asked me to follow him. What's with this? He asked me to actually stop trusting in me and start trusting in him to actually begin to orient my choices around who he was, that if he said to do A and A made absolutely no sense to me, I was still supposed to do A. Because I would normally would go to B because I could control B. But he was asking me to do A. And it was just very, uh, you know, it was kind of disorienting. But at 23, I finally said, okay, I'm going to do this. And I still remember my little 400-square-foot place that was built onto a back of a place in Van Nuys, California, little mother-in-law suite. I still remember all by myself just saying, God, I don't even hardly know what this means. I really don't. But I just, I don't want to just believe in you. I want to actually trust you, and I want to begin following you wherever that takes me. Well, I continued to read the Bible at that point, And I began to learn more about this guy named Abraham, okay? And I discovered that Abraham was actually called the father of the faith. So I thought if anybody could kind of give me an idea of what faith is and what faith isn't, because I think we err on both sides, we definitely err on both sides thinking the wrong thing about faith, and then we need to learn how to think the right thing about faith. I said, possibly Abraham um, can help me with all this to get a little bit of a a grip on it. So that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Just a little bit about this guy, Abraham. And I say just a little bit. There's really not all that much in the Bible about him. Only about 12 or 13 chapters for a guy who's so influential. Uh, but we he, were introduced to him kind of at the end of, of Genesis chapter 11. And we really know very, very, very little about where he came from. He grew up around, where it was present day Iraq. And then with his dad, after he got married with his dad, and his wife, Moved up to kind of uh, southern, southeastern Turkey, and that's where he was when his dad died. And that's where we are when we were introduced to him, and he's in his early 70s when we're introduced to him. So we really don't know what happened and what gave him some of the core values of who he is for during those, during those 70 years. So anyway, what I want you to see here is that God talks to him, and that's a whole other subject. I don't have time to go into how do you know when God's talking to you it isn't just bad pizza? How do you know when it's really something that God is doing and not just an opinion? I want to give a little bit of boundary on that, but really not talk too much about that. Um, But one of the first things we find out about Abraham, this is in the the beginning of Genesis uh, chapter 12. And by the way, if you want to read about his life, just read Genesis 12 through Genesis 25, the first part of Genesis 25. That's where you can find all about this guy. But what we find out is that God shows up, and God gives him a promise, and after he gives him a promise, he asks him to do something. Now, that's very important, because that gives us to the, here's the number one thing, Keith, if you could bring that up, about faith. This is the number one thing about faith. Faith is always rooted in what God is doing, and then he asks us to join him. If we miss this, then we miss everything. Because we think, I'm going to believe God for a new car. I have faith for a new car. That's all about you and the car that you want. That isn't biblical faith even close. This is, faith is always rooted in what God is doing. God's got something that he's doing. God's got a story he's telling. And he's asking you, will you join me in it? Okay? So that is, that is the beginning thing we have to understand about faith all the time. So we don't get this messed up and it's just a wish list. It's just not coming up with what we want to do. So here's what God told Abraham. I'm paraphrasing this verse. Uh, uh, and I'm not, I'm not trying to take away from what the Bible says. I'm just paraphrasing it for us. It's in Genesis chapter 24. If we could bring that up, Keith, Genesis 24 and verse 12. Here's what he says. I'm going to make a great nation uh, from you that is going to bless the world. By the way, very important. I'm going to do something that's going to bless the world. If God's ever going to do something, he's going to do something that's going to bless other people. It's not just making us happy, happy, happy. So he's, what he wants to do is do something through us to bless the world. And he said, you can't do it from where you are, so pack up and move. Now, we like the first one, don't we? I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and I'm going to bless the world. into in the process, he said, I'm going to bless you. But by the way, you can't do it from where you are. By the way, you're going to pack up and move. And if you don't pack up and move, you will never step into the part I have for you. That's huge. You're going to have to pack up and move before this is going to happen. God says, I've got a plan for blessing the world, and I have a part for you in my plan. But if you don't pack up, you'll miss it. Well, the amazing thing is, he said he was in. We don't really know where he got this kind of faith. We don't really even know how we knew it was really God. And that's, again, like a whole other subject to talk about so that you can really make sure you're hearing the voice of God. But whatever it was, he said, I'm in. I want to do it. It's kind of scary. God's got a part for me. I don't want to spend my whole life climbing a ladder, only get to the top and discover that it's leaning against the wrong building." I'm not going to do that. By the way, I think that's what happens to a lot of us. We spend our whole life and as you get up to the top of it, you go, wow, this is the wrong building. And so Abraham, for some reason, said, I want to be in on that. And that's what he did. That's what he did. After I came into a relationship with Christ, back when I was 23 years old, The more I began to understand God's story, and by the way, God's story, the story of God is about redeeming people into a relationship with him. That's the story. He didn't come to earth to build better homes and gardens and a nice business. He could have done that from heaven. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of that, but that's not what motivated him to come from, from heaven to earth. His story is all about all about seeing people's lives redeemed into a relationship with him and then growing in that relationship. That's the beginning of the story. That's the end of the story. And the more I read that, the more I said, I want to be involved in that. God, count me in. I don't even know what this means, but God, will you count me in and give me a part in this story? Well, within a few months of, of my um, coming into a relationship with Christ at 23, I had been with this, this cool gal by the name of Joy, and I asked her to marry me, okay? And what I, when I asked her to marry me, now she knew what was going on in my life, and she was, we were kind of tracking together in this. When I asked her to marry me, I brought her over to my little 400-square-foot add-on, you know, in Van Nuys, California, that would had state-of-the-art uh, um, garage sale furniture and curbside furniture. That's all the furniture that was in it. That was it. Okay, it was cool, by the way. One of those round spools, you know, the electrical spools you could have for table. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, tracking with me? Yeah. All right. So, but here's what I did with Joy. So when you see my wife, let this go through your mind. Let's give you an idea who she is. I said, look around. And I say this actually with some emotion as I say this, because I think if I hadn't said this, I don't know where I'd be today. I said, look around. I said, we may never have any more than what you see in this room. I said, because I'm not going to give my life to the audience that cheers only where you are because of what you possess or how you've climbed the ladder. That's not going to be us. Now I said that at 23, not knowing, of course, what it meant. Um, and the crazy thing is she said yes <laughs> so she knew right from the beginning that there was gonna be something you know we talk about being normal I've said to my wife and I've said to other people you know I don't ever want to be normal that's not my deal and God doesn't make he just he keeps making new, new products all the time I want to be I want to be the cutting-edge product uh, I don't I'm at all interested in being normal and so uh, and so about a year later, we got married. So she knew, so I got to say this, she knew from the beginning there was something here. Okay, so she can't blame me. She signed on for it. And, uh, and so within a year, we got married. Within, within a few months after we got married, I began to have this churning inside of me. And I couldn't really describe it. After you've walked with God for a while, you begin to know when it's God. And I wasn't sure at the time. But there was this churning. I had said to God, I want to be a part of your story. I want to be part of of the redemption story, the R for people. And this churning started happening inside of me. And this, I'm, I'm really paraphrasing this because this took months. But God was saying, I want you to leave Los Angeles. I want you to leave your theater career. I want you to move out to Houston, Texas. And join this guy. You became a very dear friend, a guy by the name of Herschel. I want you to join Herschel, who has gone over by the University of Houston, and all he's doing is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people to see if some of these students can come to Christ. And if that happens, he's going to start a church. I want you to go out there and join him. Now, I'm saying it as if I heard the voice out of the sky, and I did not. So like I said, that's a whole other subject, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time going into that. But I became absolutely convinced, and I'm saying, God, but I won't have a job. I won't have any place to live. I won't have any income. I'm not sending in any support letters, which I've never done to this day. Uh, I've just, I'm, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And God says, trust me. Do you trust me? If you don't know where you're going and you don't know what the outcome is going to be, but you hear from me, are you willing to do it? I finally said yes. So Joey and I got our two cars. Uh, I had a uh, a 1969 Volkswagen, it was cool, okay? But my wife is the one who really had the cool car. She had the 1969 Chevy Impala. Um, and uh, so it was a cool on black top, you know, with a red body and it was a cool car. Um, no air conditioning, neither of our cars had air conditioning. And we, and we moved out to Houston, Texas. And when I got there, I was right, I had no place to live. So what happened for the next two months is Joy and I lived with four single guys that had an extra bedroom. I'm not encouraging any of you on this. I'm just telling you the story. I needed to have a job because I had no income, and I I didn't go out there to make money. I went out there to help communicate the gospel. So I didn't know what was going to happen. So I had this great career, you know, international performer. So I was finally able to get a job picking up trash at a large apartment complex. And um, I couldn't help but think, God, did I get my wires crossed? Is this really... Really, what you had in mind for me that was really, you know, doing well, is this really, really what you had in mind for me? And can I just tell you, this is the kind of stuff that causes people to doubt God and even jettison and say, I'm not going to follow God anymore. Because somehow they have this idea that if I follow God, he owes me certain things, by golly. He owes me a good house. He owes me a good family. He owes me a nice car. After all, I'm sacrificing all this for him. Ask Ask Jesus how that worked out for him. Ask Peter how that worked out for him. Ask the Apostle Paul how that worked out for him. Ask anybody that stepped out in faith how that worked out for them. And so here's the second thing about faith that is really important to get faith is not the promise of an easier life, just a better one. Boy, do you get this? This is incredible. Even as I say it, it is not the promise of an easier life. That has never been my experience of following God. But it is the promise of a better one. And I sure like the better one. It's a life of experiencing God working in and through your life to actually touch other lives and see their lives changed forever. And their families changed forever. That's what God invites us into. And it's the kind of life that I got to tell you, it just puts a smile on your face as you get older and you just say this line. It just doesn't get any better than this. If you don't know how to say that line, it just doesn't get any better with this, then you don't know the God that I know because he's never made my life easier, but he certainly made it a heck of a lot better. Well, after several years there in Houston, and we finally got established and my brother came out and joined me from California. And together we started a company. And uh, we started doing pretty good. And then I began to have this churning going on inside of me again. My wife goes, oh, it's the churning. <laughs> you, know, you know, started to have this churning going on again in my life. And I knew by this time it was God. And I got to tell you, I don't know where these things come from, except that God's telling the story, and his story is a story of redemption, and he wants us to join him in it. So I said, well, there was." there was just a small team of people that began talking about leaving Houston, going two hours north to a little town called College Station, which is the home of Texas A&M University, and just going up there to begin sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with students and to see what would happen. And if people came to Christ, we'd start a church there. By the way, that's the only way in the Bible that a church ever got started. It started with the gospel, people came to Christ, then a church was formed. They didn't go around and gather all the Christians. They didn't like their own church and start a church. You know, they saw people come to Christ. So we said, should we do this? This is really hard. We were finally established and we were doing, doing good. And, I, and I'm thinking, same old thing. I'll have no place to live. I won't have a job. I'll have no income. I have no support from behind me. Nobody saying go and I'll give you money. Nobody. But it just kept churning and churning and churning. And I finally said, all right, let's do this. And we went up there and we got this. My wife and I, we had two kids at this time. And we got this little two-bedroom house with no air conditioning in June because that was in the days where you had these unit air conditioners. And the rented house, which was only three blocks from the campus, they'll charge high rates for junk just to be close to the campus. So it didn't have an air conditioner and it didn't have a refrigerator. And if we wanted either one of those, we would have to get them. We had no money, so we had no air conditioning in June, which was really hot. We had no money to buy a refrigerator, so we got three ice chests and we ate out of ice chests for two months. Uh, Life did not get easier one bit. And uh, after a while, we were able to get the money to, to buy a refrigerator. But I want to tell you something. A church started that is so solid, it is going on today over 30 or 40 years later. I can't even remember the dates anymore. I spoke out there a couple of years ago. They started two or three more churches in the area. And God let me be a part of that. He never made my life easier, but he sure made it better. And I got to be a part of that, of seeing thousands and now thousands and thousands of lives changed because I was willing to do something and didn't say I had to have a refrigerator, I had to have a back, I had to have backing, I had to have air conditioning. I just said, God, I'm just going to take the risk with you because I think you're probably a pretty good risk. After 10 years, I mean, I could go on. I only have a very short time to tell this. How do I put 50 years and 40 minutes? Um, But this happened again about going to Albuquerque, New Mexico. There I was. Can I tell you something about the leading of God? Just to kind of put this in the back of your head. The majority of times in the Bible, the leading of God is never what the person wants. It's what God wants. I hear, oh, I feel God really leading me to get a new car. I feel him leading me to get a better house, and I feel leading me to move to the beach. Well, he can do all of that. But it's interesting that most of our leadings are the things that we want to do. They're not God's story. They're our story. And one of the ways you can know when God's leading is it's something you really don't want to do, but God wants to do because it's part of his story. And I'm telling God, I don't want to go to Albuquerque for crying out loud. The church is really going on, doing well here. and People are coming to Christ and we're, it's just, it's just fantastic. And, uh, and they, they, this, this little church called me that was struggling. It was dying They said, can you come out here? Can you help us? We can't pay you. We have no place for you to live, but can you come out and help us? That's right. Sounds good. Because that's about the only way I've ever made a move in my life. Never had, had zero to do with money and had 100% doing with the voice of God. Now I'm not encouraging that. I mean, you've got to walk with God. But I'm just, so that's what happened, and went out there, and sure enough, that church got healthy. It grew, started two more churches, and I got to be out there a couple years ago. Then God did the same thing, and that, and when things are really doing good, you know, God did the same thing again, and we moved on to, uh, we moved up out to Washington, D.C. And then, of all things, God said, as I'm following God and I'm hot on the thing of redemption of the people, God said, leave the ministry. You got to be kidding. Your parents are aging in Florida, they need your help. So I said, I won't have a job. I want not have a place to live. I want not have any of this kind of stuff all over again. Second verse, I feel like singing, I'm Henry the I Am. You know, it just keeps going on and on and on. And sure enough, went down here. We moved somebody that had a big, beautiful home, by the way, in Windermere on Lake Crescent, beautiful home. But they had moved out for reasons, medical reasons, and they had sold, all the furniture was gone. So we got a 4,000 square foot home that was completely empty. we got to live, what an experience we had. It was a fantastic experience as we were down here and began to take care of my parents until their death. The story just goes on and on and on and on. So let me give you one more aspect of Abraham's life here that I think is really, really critical in trying to decide all this. God's promise was all dependent on Abraham having descendants. It's all on, on him being able to have children. Well, there was a, the fly in the ointment was that his wife Sarah was unable to have children. And so as they talked about this, they decided what they could do was something that was very common in their culture. And that's that, that he could end up having a child through Hagar, which was the maid of Sarah. This was very common, by the way. If a woman had a, a maid and she was unable to have a, a child, the, the wife was unable to have a child, the, the maid would become the wife of the husband and they'd have children, it's kinda of like a surrogate pregnancy almost. This, this gal will carry the kid of the, of, of, of the guy. And, and so that, this is what happened. They agreed on this. This wasn't, you know, this wasn't Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, with a, with a housemaid behind the door. Don't ever think about that. That's not what this was, okay? This was them talking about it, doing it, not doing it in secret at all, and having a child, and the child's name was Ishmael. So it really happened. Can I tell you something? I didn't even see this for years. God, the promise to Abraham was that he would have a descendant through him. It never mentioned Sarah, never. It just said he was going to have a child and it was going to come through him. It wasn't until after Ishmael was born that God said, ah, wrong. The child's going to come through your wife, Sarah, who is just 10 years older by this time was, you know, about 90. It's going to come. So I want us to get this right because this brings up a very, very, very important thing about faith. And that's this right here. Faith always has an element of mystery to it, and sometimes we get it wrong. Can I tell you that? In the 50 years that I followed God, I've gotten it wrong sometimes. I've gotten it wrong. Abraham got it wrong. I don't think for a minute he said, God, I'm not going to do it your way. I'm just going to. They were trying to figure out how in the world they were going to have a child when she could not have a child, the culture said, this is another way you can do it. And they thought, well, maybe this is exactly what God has in mind to do it this way. It wasn't until after they did it that God told them that it was wrong. Can I just tell you that sometimes it's been true of my life and it's been true of your life. Sometimes we know what God is saying, but we're not clear on how it's supposed to happen. You ever been there? You're clear that God says something but you're just wrestling with how to do it. and You go this way and that way. So can I just say to you, don't freeze on the trigger and say, I'm not going to move till I know 100% of what it's supposed to look like. You'll be, still be sitting in the same place for the next 50 years. Don't freeze on the trigger. Act on what you understand. Keep on moving. Keep on moving. But put this next one up here, Keith, if you will. Faith is about saying yes to what you understand, Then having the humility and courage to change as it clarifies. What happens is people, they'll get this, they start moving and then they see it's wrong, but they don't want to stop because then they'll look like they made a mistake. No. You you go ahead and you say yes to what you understand, then having the humility to change, the humility uh, and the courage to change as it becomes more clear. When we moved to Albuquerque, I didn't have any idea where we were going to stay, but I was absolutely convinced that God wanted us to be there. And we were living in one person's place and then another person's place. And and, uh, some people moved out of an apartment so we could live there for three weeks. I mean, yeah, this time I'm pulling my family through all this. And then we had an opportunity to actually get to do this remodel and put in some money and do this and get our own place. And so we said, let's go with that. And we did it. I moved to Albuquerque by a clear leading of God. And I got into a remodeling thing because I thought it was the way God wanted us to get a place and I was wrong. It cost me money, it cost me time, but when I saw that that wasn't the thing to do, we stepped out of it. But it wasn't because I'm saying, God, I'm not gonna do, I'm not gonna do what you say. I'm not gonna, you know, can I just tell you something It just happened to me the other day. Um, I have a habit of going away, I've been doing this for 40 years, for at least 10 days every year. I just got back, got back Wednesday night, uh, at least 10 days every year to be all alone with God. It's not a vacation. Don't take family. Uh, I go. I don't see people. I don't hardly even leave the cabin. In the t- whole time I was up there, I never went out to eat once. Uh, I just stay there, and I read and I think and I have whiteboards and I'm writing and I'm praying. And I've done this for about 40 years. I say to kind of keep me as sane as I am, which I'm not sure is always there. But I, but you know, but here's what I wrote. I want to encourage you to do this. I wrote on my whiteboard, am I saying no to anything God has shown me? Am I saying no to anything God has shown me? It's one thing to act in faith and not get it right, but you're doing it because you're just not sure what God's showing you, but you still say, God, I want... to. I want, I want to play the part that you've got for me in your story. I want to do it. But it's a whole different story for God to show something. You say, not going to do it. That's going to be too convenient. Not going to do it. It's going to be too expensive. Not going to do it. It's not going to advance my career. Not going to do it. That's when we get in trouble. And that's when we can step out of God's story. Now, let me just say, as we we close here, that some of you just might be thinking, In fact, I'm sure some of you are thinking, I can't really go into this, but you might be saying, you know, I don't know if I've ever heard from God. I don't honestly know if I've ever heard from God. Certainly never heard from him like Abraham. Certainly never been asked to do anything spectacular like Abraham. Can I just give you a couple of thoughts that are very, 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 very close to who I am? The first reason could just be this. You don't stop to listen. I saw a bumper sticker many, many years ago that still is in my mind as I'm talking right now. It simply said this, if God seems far away, guess who moved? If God seems far away, guess who moved? This is a teaching that I could do for a very, very, very long time. The noise level of life is so loud, you will never hear from God unless you figure out how to turn down the RPMs of life and listen. Uh, I just, I can't say enough about this. I keep hitting this thing. I, I have it very intentionally at great expense to myself and in some ways to my family at times, said, I'm going to make my number one priority in life to arrange my life around hearing from God, whatever that takes. I can't tell you what it's going to take for you, but I know what it takes for me. And I think the reason that I've heard so much from God is because I've spent so much time, like I said, it's not a grab and go. This is why I go away for 10 days. This last time I was away for over two weeks Because I'm going, God, I know this is what you want to do, but what is? I'm on a back deck and I'm yelling to God. And I'm saying, like like he's hard of hearing or something, but I'm saying, you know, God, what am I supposed to do here? I don't get it. Please. Silence. The next day I do it again. It's not sometimes for three or four or five days that I get clarity from God. And the things that have changed my life I left pastoring the crossings, which I absolutely loved. Three years ago, because God told me in no uncertain terms as I was pacing on a deck in North Carolina, I never heard his voice audibly, but he said, you're done. Thanks. Good job. And I've never looked back for a second, not even once. Has it been easy? No, but it's been fantastic. Okay, let me give you the second thing here. Second is this. You're waiting for a phone call when he's already texted you things that'll take great faith. You know, we live in a day where people don't call anymore. They get texts. You say, I want to hear from God. You got a text. It's called the Bible. He's already texted you so many things. I want to hear his voice. Hey, how about this? Does this count? It's like my wife says, I talked to somebody today. Did you text or talk? Oh, no, we texted. You just said you talked to somebody today. No, we texted. All right. Well, if you buy into that, which most of our culture does, then by golly, you've got a whole book full of texts. And there's things in those texts that will stretch your faith way beyond anything you can imagine. And that's, you will hear from God and God's going to challenge you to faith. God's going to challenge you to love that neighbor when you feel like punching him. He's going to challenge you to be generous when you don't have enough money for whatever you want to do. He's going to challenge you to love your wife, where in this particular situation, I say this very cautiously, in this particular situation, she really doesn't deserve it. (laughs) We know the feeling. That's a text from God. And that will take you as much faith as it will to pick up and move. But let me tell you, when you begin to do those things and you start responding to those things and say, God, help, I don't know how to do this. I need your power. I need your encouragement. I need you. I need to get alone. You need to fill me up. As you just start to discover that it really works, that God actually does this stuff. And God's watching and say, Oh, there's somebody who really takes me at really takes me at my word, by golly. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna push him to a whole nother level. Because God's saying, if they're not going to do the stuff down here, well, why would I push them to move and pick up and go, to, and go to start a whole new nation? They want to move over here when I say love their wife. they I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to tell them to go over here? No, it's not going to happen. But you'll begin to discover that God will push you and God will start challenging you and God will start giving you opportunities as you, as you start taking his texts and say, I'm good for this. He'll take you in directions. Let me just be real clear of this as we close. He'll take you in directions that are all about his story, not yours. Faith is all about God having a story, inviting you into it and say, will you take your part? Will you take your part? Let me close with this last verse. I love this. I love this. this can, I want this one, maybe not literally because my wife will probably choose this. But on my epitaph, it's what it says about Abraham at the very end, Genesis chapter twenty-five. Is that up there? Oh, I I sent that one to you late. All right, anybody have a Bible? Uh, Is there a Bible in the house? Uh, Yes. Sorry, Keith worked with me so well. I was—I'd been gone for two or three weeks, and I was sending him the, "Hey, can we do this verse? Hey, can we do this verse?" He kept up with me. I sent him one last one. Um, Let me see. This one—is this an NIV? ESV, okay, I don't even know how it reads it in ESV. Maybe I just got to quote it. I'll get it. I don't know if these ESV guys got it right or not. Let's see. You never know. Anyways, Genesis chapter 25, and it's verse 8. It's it's the last last thing we read about Abraham. Uh, It said, Abraham breathed his last. Uh, Yeah, it doesn't read here. Uh, It doesn't read right here. New American Standard, uh, 28.5. Uh, but here's basically what it says. I mean, 25.8. It says, Abraham died in a ripe old age, satisfied with life. That's the key word. He died in a ripe old age, satisfied with life. I just said, God, that's how I want to die. I want to die. I don't care if it's a ripe old age. It's ripe enough right now. But I want to die satisfied with life. And you know how you live a life that is satisfied? You know how you can actually say that? Because when God spoke, you listened and you did. Don't compare yourself to me or compare yourself to one another. You compare yourself to what God's asking you to do. Because it takes a ton of faith to do that. But my prayer is for me and my prayer is for you. That you will die whenever your time is up. Satisfied with life because you have experienced the reality of God in a chaotic world. You experience the threads of God that wove through your life, which is why I want you to pick up that book because these threads weaving through your life will give you a stability that you go, This has been a journey. It just doesn't get any better than this. Thanks for letting me talk to you about this. Um, By the way, let me just say, this: you go to the website, which is Therefore Project. I'm not talking about donating for the books, but that is where you do it. Or you can just drop off money back there at the table if you want. But thereforeproject.com is the name of the website, the name of the company, thereforeproject.com. You can read where that name comes from if you go to the website. But this website is all about helping you become better, helping followers of Jesus become better, at being being conversational communicators of Jesus in their everyday life. This is what it was designed for, this has been my heart for a very long time, to help the average everyday person become a a conversational communicator, not a pulpit preacher, a conversational communicator every day in life. God had one plan, one plan to reach the entire world, eight billion people with the gospel, only one plan, it was not the internet, it was not the printed page because neither of those existed when he started. One plan, and you know what it was? Conversations. Conversations by his people to people that don't know him. Casual, at ease conversations that can transform somebody's life forever. God, thank you so much that you are just out there. You know so much more than we do, God. We, just, we stand in awe of you. And we stand in awe, God, that that with all you want to do, you actually would entrust people like us, us fallible people that drop the ball and make mistakes, God. But all you're asking us to say to you is, use me, God. I I want to play the part you have for me in your story. Just make it clear. And I will do it, regardless of the cost, regardless of the time. I will do it by your grace. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.